latest episode of our Combinations podcast that focuses today on the Community Mental Health Transformation Programme across Staffordshire and Stoke-on-Trent. Joining our host Mark Fletcher are Rachel Wallisgraft and I'm a Community Engagement Coordinator from Combined Healthcare Trust. I'm Ben Hollands, I'm the Health and Wellbeing Strategy Implementation Manager at Midlands Partnership NHS Foundation Trust. Thank you for joining us both. So a key focus of the Transformation Programme is tackling health inequalities in relation to community mental health care, something that's been supported through the use of population health data. For this episode, we'll explore this in more detail and talk about some of the work that has taken place thus far, as well as looking ahead to the next 12 months or so. So Ben, I'll bring you in first, please, to talk about what we mean by health inequalities and population health and how these relate to the transformation of community mental health care across Staffordshire and Stoke-on-Trent. Certainly, Mark. So um, to borrow a definition from the King's Fund, um, health inequalities are the unjust, systematic and avoidable differences in people's health across a population and between specific population groups. There's a few things to kind of bear in mind around health inequalities. Um, firstly, these are things which don't occur randomly or by chance. They're often socially determined by people's circumstances and they're largely beyond an individual's control. Um, so the sorts of things we're talking about here are people's education, um, the sorts of jobs they do, the places they live, um, and to some extent, the sorts of behaviours that they have. People with complex and enduring mental health problems are far more likely to experience very severe health inequalities in the rest of the population. And just to put that into context, on average, people with a severe mental illness are likely to die on average something like 21 years before um, people who don't have an SMI. So it's quite an eye-watering figure. And really that sets the context for why we need to address these health inequalities. We have to close that gap. Population health or population health management is about understanding those problems. Um, so it's about looking at the circumstances in, in which a certain population might live. Um, so those things I mentioned before about housing and so on. It's also about understanding which groups might be more exposed or at risk um, to a particular health inequality or in this case, a particular illness. Uh, so we know, uh, for example, that there are certain social groups which are more exposed or more likely to have an SMI, particularly people from our poorest communities. So what we've been doing is uh, a lot of detailed analysis and work uh, to understand our populations in, in Staffordshire linked to, to uh, complex mental health problems, looking at their circumstances, trying to identify where the kind of demand will come from and identify anybody who might be experiencing any sort of unwanted variation in terms of access to our services and also understand the things that they might need for a fully sort of holistic uh, care model which will really support them to be well and that essentially um, is what we mean by population health and health inequalities and I guess the thing to really take away is is about kind of looking after the whole person and it's about understanding where the demand comes from. Thanks, Ben. So, Rachel, the, the, the transformation programme itself has been running for a year or so now. Um, could you talk about some of the work done so far and some of the findings based on that work that's taken place? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, in year one of the Transformation Health Inequalities, we worked system-wide and developed a Health Inequalities Co-Lab where we came together and met on a regular basis. And in the first year, we had various categories that we concentrated all our attention on. So that was younger adults, older adults, Muslim Eastern European communities, asylum seekers and refugees, and men over 40. So each work stream had key leads for each cohort and they provided us with opportunities to look at the research and health literacy. And we went out and had engagement opportunities, which we come in various forms, really, whether that was events, um, going out to local groups, linking in with communities themselves and establishing, I suppose, a strengthening relationship. And that took time to develop, but we built on those relationships and those key people where we identified barriers of accessing mental health services. We looked at exploring solutions and that was a big piece of work where we all come back to the collab and shared that information where we found some quite common reoccurring themes those were collated and most of them generated around communication language being a barrier access stigma literature systems and awareness so all those things we've kind of looked at over the past year where we've broke that down into where can we make some possible changes, some will take longer than others. We've looked at training opportunities around cultural competency throughout the trusts. We've looked at the way that we write, the way that we talk, the language, the literacy. And often it can be very medicalised and, and full of jargon. So it was about making sure that the way we communicate is understandable and inclusive for everybody. I think for me, a big part has been about being creative and thinking outside of the box and kind of looking at what what would make it easy to access services or what would help to to understand mental health a bit better. I've been involved in various cohorts throughout year one, which was asylum seekers and refugees and also supported Fiona with the men over 40 events. And this has included reaching out to local communities and having some really engaging conversations to understand these barriers more, you know, understand them further. That's gone on to develop Observe and Act, which is a platform where somebody from each cohort can visit an area, a service within whichever area, and go in and look at, there's a kind of a list of questions that they can look at to see how inclusive we really are. And with that piece of work, we have actions attached to them. To, and, and that's brought up quite a lot of, um, insightful information on things like signage, um, health literacy, the way we greet people and all the barriers that we've we kind of face. So it's been an exciting year and we're moving on and I think that you know moving into year two now we will be stepping into more cohorts including co-occurring substances and LGBTQ plus and we continue to strive to, you know, the collab to have new members in there and to continue this piece of work. Thanks, Rachel. There's lots covered there, and and you mentioned at the end about uh, focusing on year two, which for 
uh, our listeners is covers the 2022-23 financial year. So Ben, I'll just bring you in to talk about the sort of the next uh, rest of this financial year and also the next 12 months in general. To expand on what Rachel just said there about providing some listeners with uh, examples of what the focus will be and how this will factor into the wider transformation programme. So Ben, I'll bring you in first, please, if that's OK. Sure. So there's a couple of dimensions to it really so so firstly um there are services which we are collectively working on which will contribute to that kind of looking after the whole person the holistic care um, model that we uh, want to adopt and is really central to the transformation program so that um has come from this kind of population health management approach so we're talking about things like um debt management advice um, support and help with housing. Uh, we're developing some additional lifestyle services to help people um, remain active and inc increase their ability to socialise. Uh, so that's kind of one dimension. Uh, the second dimension, I think Rachel's kind of covered much of that already in terms of mobilising um, some of the things that we've we've observed from the consultation and engagement work that we've already done with these priority groups. Um, one you know, really important aspect of that has been health literacy. Uh, so we know that uh, large parts of our population don't have the um, essential literacy skills to understand a lot of the information which they are given, uh, not just by us, but by any healthcare provider. Uh, so an important strand of this work will be uh, applying what we call a style guide um, which is about making sure that we communicate in a way which is accessible to everybody um, and that could be through patient letters uh, that could be through face-to-face -face consultations or it could be through signage or information leaflets and and so on uh, so that's one one component and then, um, as Rachel also mentioned, uh, as well as mobilising these different services and these different approaches, we're also starting to look at those other priority groups, um, starting another round of, sort of consultation and engagement to understand their needs. Uh, also looking at the sort of background evidence and literature um, to see what the experiences have been elsewhere in the country so we can learn from that so we're not always starting uh, from scratch. Uh, so there's lots to do. Um, exciting times and hopefully you know we'll see some really significant changes for people over the next uh, 12 months or more as these things come online um, and uh, people start to be able to access them. Thanks Ben. Um, my sort of final question I wanted to sort of get a personal reflection from you both and I'll start Rachel with yourself about how important you see this piece of work being going forwards and as I say you, you both touched on the work that's taking place over the next 12 months but I'd sort of like to get a personal reflection from yourselves about why this is important to you and why this is sort of important generally to to people accessing mental health care going forward. So Rachel I'll start with you please. Yeah I think that this piece of work has been fantastic and created lots of opportunities and for me it's about being inclusive and engaging and as services we can't be we can't make those decisions on what's working and what's not without that fully inclusive engagement and co-production co approach. And I think for me, that's what it's strengthened so many relationships and 
and brought so much insight into how we can develop future mental health services. So I feel like it's really exciting. It's provided lots of opportunities, but more importantly, it's about that full engagement with, with all groups within communities. Thanks, uh, Rachel and Ben, your reflections, please. Much the same, really. I think there's obviously massive opportunity to create improvements and deliver better outcomes for people. I'm going to go back to that statistic right at the start about that life expectancy variation. Clearly, that's completely sort of unacceptable. Um, and hopefully, the sort of changes we're talking about will start to chip away at that and, and make a difference to people um, in a really meaningful way. Uh, secondly, from a very personal perspective, um, as somebody who kind of works in public health, it's really heartening to see um, this kind of approach where we're placing uh, a great deal of emphasis on um, the broader needs of people and recognising the impact that has on both their sort of likeliness to need help, um, but also impact on how easy it is for them to access help. And, and placing that at the heart of the transformation programme, I think is, is fantastic. And it's a model which I hope that um, will not only just be successful for mental health, but it's something that we'll see sort of adopted more broadly um, across MPFT and, and healthcare more generally. Thanks, Ben. And, and so that's it for this podcast. Can I thank Rachel and Ben for joining me today? And also thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Mm -hmm.